Hey friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is where we spoon feed you the latest and greatest literature of emergency medicine. We just want to make keeping up on the literature easy. And to do that, we spoon feed it to you. Now, if you're hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you're not receiving the full podcast. There is more podcast than just this. If you would like to get access to both the full podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. Now, this is the audio version of the past week summaries, which were brought to you by our authors, Jason Lesnick, Millie Cusset, Chris Thome, Doug Wallace, and of course, Clay Smith. So here's the first article titled, Evaluation of Oseltamivir Used to Prevent Hospitalization in Outpatients with Influenza, out of the JAMA Internal Medicine. Oseltamivir, uh, brand name Tamiflu, I've probably prescribed this, uh, I don't know, six, seven times in the last few weeks. A lot of flu going around, but with some serious reluctance. It's not exactly a hard hitter, despite its support in some guidelines, and of course, widespread use, which is a shame because I think its existence kind of staunches the development of other, what could be potentially effective, antivirals. Anyways, don't take my word for it. Here's a little bit of data on this. These authors found 15 RCTs and meta-analyzed comparing oseltamivir to placebo, or standard of care, in outpatients at least 12 years old who had confirmed influenza infections. Their main outcome of interest was rates of hospitalization, an outcome which I'd say is pretty patient-centered. Their total cohort from combined studies was a little over 6,000 patients with an intention-to-treat population, and uh, 54% of them were prescribed oseltamivir. The average age was 45 years old, about half of them were female, and 60% of the studies were industry-funded. Overall rates of hospitalization were low, less than 1%, so finding a difference here, uh, it's going to be kind of hard. And on top of that, it makes you wonder a little bit why we're seeking to treat these patients in the first place. Less than 1% hospital admission rate is quite low already. Anyways, just from my lead-up, you won't be surprised to hear that oseltamivir was not associated with a decrease in hospitalizations overall. Now, I don't want to sound too down on antivirals like I am with Paxlovid. I just want to frame things in the current state of the world before I get into trial data. Now, this lack of effect held true in patients over 65 years old, as well as those who were thought to be high risk for hospitalization. What was clearly observed, though, an obvious difference, was an increase in nausea, risk ratio of 1.43, and vomiting, risk ratio of 1.83. Not any serious adverse events, though. Interestingly, there's more vomiting reported than nausea. Now, how many people are vomiting but don't feel nauseous? Now, I don't think I vomited in the last maybe 10 years, but I remember the two coming kind of hand in hand most of the time. Something important to mention is that if you sub-analyze the studies to just the industry-funded studies, then you do actually see a decrease in hospitalizations. And this isn't necessarily because they're biased, although they could be a little bit, but possibly because these studies worked a lot harder to confirm that these patients had real, significant influenza infections using viral cultures, or a four-fold change in antibody titers instead of what you and I would obviously use, which is just PCRs. 
So perhaps Oseltamivir really does work. I mean, it does work in vitro after all, but it just doesn't work enough to be useful in real life, though it definitely causes nausea and vomiting. So in the end, it comes down to shared decision-making. The possibility of maybe a day's less symptoms, but no change in hospitalizations, versus probably adding nausea and vomiting to a patient who already likely feels pretty crummy. There are still other high-risk populations for which it is recommended in the guidelines that you give oseltamivir, and those ones were not covered in this study, like pregnant patients and those under two years old. In a spoonful, this systematic review and meta-analysis concluded with moderate certainty evidence that oseltamivir has little to no effect on hospitalizations when treating outpatients, but does increase the rates of nausea and vomiting. And then the second article, titled Vacation Days Taken, Work During Vacation, and Burnout Among U.S. Physicians, out of the JAMA Network Open. Now, I'm really early in my medical career. Heck, I haven't even started practicing yet, still a resident. But I've already seen people around me burn out. More data on solutions seems like, well, you know, seems like a nice idea. Now, frankly, the simplest solution would just be to take more vacations. I like that as a solution. Take a break from the EHR, unwind a little bit. Heck, sounds a lot easier than actually trying to fix the healthcare system. But would that even work? Would taking more vacations move the needle? This cross-sectional survey of more than 3,000 U.S. physicians from November 2020 to March 2021 asked about how many vacation days they were actually taking on a yearly basis. They also asked about how much work was being done during those vacations and associated this with rates of burnout and professional fulfillment. Burnout was measured using the Malash Burnout Index, a survey of 22 questions about burnout, depersonalization, and personal achievement. You answer each of these questions on a Likert scale, and it looks pretty depressing to fill out. I actually did it myself, and apparently I'm low level of burnout in everything except personal achievement, at which I'm moderate level. Though there's not really an option to not be burnt out from this scale, so, you know, a little bit of bias there. Now, about 50% of physicians surveyed took less than two weeks of vacation per year. That's it. 20% took five days or less. Boy, that's depressing. 70% performed patient care-related tasks while on vacation. They kept working on vacation, with 30% of them spending more than 30 minutes per day still while on vacation doing patient-related tasks. EM physicians had the lowest rate of taking more than three weeks of vacation per year, only 24% of us. We were also most likely to take less than six days of vacation less than a week of vacation per year. But we are the least likely to do patient-based work on vacation, which makes sense. We don't really have our own patients. Also, if you're a stereotypical ER doc, then, I mean, it's hard to do patient work while trekking through the mountains on your mountain bike. So there's that too. All that together to say that spending more than 30 minutes per day on patient work while on holidays was associated with higher rates of burnout. While taking more than three weeks vacation seems to be protective. I'm terrible at taking vacation myself, but let this paper serve as a reminder to you. The types of people that take more vacation might have less burnout. So be the type of person that takes their vacations. 
Hard to say that the vacation itself was what was making the difference, and I don't really want to see a study that randomizes people to getting and not getting their vacations, so this might be the closest thing we get. In the Spoonful, this survey of U.S. physicians found that taking more than three weeks of vacation per year was associated with lower rates of burnout. While spending 30 minutes or more per day on vacation on patient-related work was associated with increased rates of burnout. Okay, that's all the stuff we're covering from this week. What did we learn today? Well, from the first article, we had a meta-analysis of oseltamivir, which showed no significant benefit by way of changing rates of hospitalization. But you can count on it to probably cause a fair amount of nausea and vomiting. And then from the second article, be the kind of doctor that takes more vacation. And you might also be the type of doctor who's less likely to burn out. It's like smiling to make yourself happy instead of waiting for something to make you happy to make you smile. Again, if you're hearing this right now, then you are not a part of the members feed. And so you missed three articles from this past week. The first was about, is it worth thrombolizing patients who are already taking NOAX? Second was about abdominal x-rays and the evaluation of intussusception. Is it really helpful? And then the last was about private equity acquisition of hospitals. What's it doing to patient care? Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.